To introduce today's story from the Bible, I've compiled a short list of things I have never or rarely seen in my life. I have never seen ground fireworks, you know, the ones that they do on the ground while they're doing those displays high up in the air and they take a break and they do the ones in the ground. I've never seen those. I've never seen what's happening on the bottom couple feet of any stage show or any movie theater screen. Rarely seen the top shelf in any store or cabinet. The top of most adults' heads. And when my family and I went down to downtown Chicago, to Chinatown, to see the Asian New Year parade one year, I saw absolutely nothing. Not one thing. Why? Well, because I am five foot two. I did say it was a short list. Most of all, my whole life being five foot two, I have struggled to be noticed. I've struggled to be seen. Like I can stand in a line and I am completely overlooked. It happened to me not long ago as I stood in line waiting alone to go have breakfast after I'd been to a doctor's appointment. The hostess came and she took the four men in line behind me. And I stood there looking around going, what? Am I just invisible? Apparently so, but I'm used to it and it's not a good feeling. So I feel like today's story is kind of about my personal patron saint and his story is in Luke 19 verses one through 10. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there and his name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is the day I must be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. Then he said to the Lord, Master, I'll give away half my income to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay four times the damages. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Now a little background on this story. Zacchaeus is called the chief tax collector, which means he hired lower tax collectors to go out and do the actual work of tax collecting. And he took a cut off of the top of what they brought in. And that's where his wealth came from. And the story says he's very rich. Today we call this capitalism, but then they called it betrayal of clan and cheating. Potato, potato, right? No, but honestly, Zacchaeus was obviously very hated for this because to take the taxes of his Jewish brethren and to give it to Rome, and especially to basically hire other people to do that and to be the, the person in charge was a heinous sort of thing. And he was not liked. He was hated, in fact. And all his riches did not make up for that fact. No one accepts his dinner invites. They all have better offers. 
and you get the feeling that they really don't particularly mind standing in front of him and being taller than him at all these events. Have you ever been stood in front of? Yeah. They don't see him in more ways than one, and they don't choose to, and it doesn't feel good. Now, maybe he brought this on himself, but obviously he did. But I feel as if Zacchaeus is a man who maybe, if I get into his head a little bit, decided a long time ago that if people weren't going to give him any attention, if they were going to overlook him, he would pay them all back for it. He would force them to notice him by taking their money and by doing it really well and getting rich off of them. But it says in the story that this day he desperately wanted to see Jesus. And I wonder what questions does his story raise for you? And the question it raises for me is why? Why does he want to see Jesus? He seems to have lived his life without needing to talk to God very much. And the only thing I can conclude is that this man is making one last ditch effort to be seen. To see if his life can mean more than rejection, revenge. To find out if restoration is at all remotely possible. And I think this may probably be his last try. And I think Jesus knows it. And imagine that moment when Jesus looks at him in the tree. They're eye to eye. He looks up and he sees him. He notices this man. Imagine how he's feeling. And then on top of it, Jesus speaks to him. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down. I see you. I see you whether you're in that tree or not. I would have seen you. But you have to come near to me. You can't stay in that tree you have to come down. Today is my day. Literally, he says, I must stay at your house. Why? Why does Jesus use that word? He could have said, I would like to stay at your house. Hey, how about if I come over to your house? No, he says, I must. I must. I have to. Why? Because Jesus has to come to all of us who so desperately want to see him to be seen by him, to be restored. He has to, because that's the entire reason he was born. The text says the son of man came to find and restore. And you might as well say he came to see and restore. So there is something so beautiful and so personal in being seen. Jesus existed to find and restore. That's why he had to go, because that was the whole purpose for his, his being there at all. So many people, whether or not they are short, don't feel seen. The first step of restoration is being seen. You might remember a while back when we were going through Genesis, we talked about the Egyptian slave named Hagar. Hagar was brought out of Egypt as a slave, whether she was won or bought or whatever, we don't know, by Abraham and Sarah. 
And the scripture euphemistically says that Abraham slept with her, but she know we know she had no agency in that. She had no ability to consent. But she gave birth to a son, Abraham's first son. And Abraham's wife, Sarah, treated her so badly that she ran away. She took her, her, her small child and she ran off into the wilderness. And in her despair and in her hopelessness, God comes to her. And Hagar is the first person in scripture to name God. And do you know what she names him? Elroy, the God who sees. The first name we get in the Bible for God is the God who sees. What does that do to a person to be seen? What would it do to us if we really thought God saw us? And what would it do if we learned to see people? Jesus sees him and then Jesus says, "He has. To, I have to come to your house. I have to have a relationship with you. I have to have conversation, experience. I have to give you acceptance. Because the second step of restoration is a commitment to a relationship. You've been seen by God. Now you commit to a relationship with God. This is a real commitment. Jesus says, you have to come from that tree. You have to draw near to me. I have to come to your house for a meal. And what does that mean? To sit down to a meal in that culture, as we have discussed before, having a meal meant you were family. Jesus went to that man's house and he was declaring, you are family and I am your family and we have a relationship and I'm committed to it. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree and commit to it yourself. And it's interesting, the crowds would have expected Jesus to go to the rich young leader's home, whom he spoke to just before this, but not Zacchaeus, not the tax collector, not this horrible man they'd hated for as long as they could remember. But Jesus goes where he's invited. And Jesus goes where people desperately want him. And of course, he invites himself. I mean, Zacchaeus doesn't invite him. Jesus invites himself on over because he goes where he's wanted and needed. And then what happens? Well, Zacchaeus has to recognize that being seen means being seen all the way through. Kind of like when you go on a sleepover with, you know, some of your friends those of you who are young enough to go on sleepovers, but hey, no age limit. And you realize, oh, wait a minute. This means they're going to see me in the morning. This means they're going to smell my breath. This means they're going to see me at my absolute goofiness at two in the morning when I have no filters. I'm not sure about that. It's like when you start dating someone, right? And you start realizing, oh, to have a real relationship, they have to see this part of me. They have to see me as I am. They have to see things I maybe have kept hidden. And that's the way it is for Zacchaeus right now. He understands, and we see it by his words and by his actions, that he recognizes this, that he knows 
he's going to let God see him all the way through. And that's hard, my friends. That is hard. To see eye to eye with God and say, okay. Okay, everything. You can see everything. Not just the stuff I want you to see. The third step of restoration is grief over what's wrong and making it right. And that's what he recognizes he has to do when God sees him through and through. And that one keeps recycling itself, right? Like we don't ever stop finding things in ourselves that are unearthed, that God already sees anyway, right? But that we see and that we have to bring out in the light and say to God, okay, you can see this. I'm giving it to you. I need to fix this. Remember those of us who are old enough to have seen the movie Love Story when it first came out? And, you know, we thought it was all the rage at the time, but it really wasn't the greatest love story ever. And there's a line in it that became the iconic line of the movie that everyone repeated over and over. And you remember it if you saw it. After they've had this big argument, this big blow up, and she comes back and he says, I'm sorry. And she says to him, love me means never having to say you're sorry. That was a crock, wasn't it? I mean, that was such a lie. And it came out to all of us in that generation as this gospel truth of, oh, oh, that's love. You just forgive. No, you don't. Love means having to say you're sorry a heck of a lot, right? And if we can't be truly sorry to a spouse, to a friend, to a parent, then it's going to be a rocky relationship. It's going to be rough if we never learn to say we're sorry. And if we can't do that with God, then the same thing is true. It's going to be a rough walk with God if we cannot take those things out to the light and say, here, see these. I am so sorry. Love for God meant for Zacchaeus having to say that he was deeply grieved by what he had done, grieved enough to make serious amends over and above, because what he offers is over and above what he really would have had to do to make amends. But he is so grieved that he just throws it out there and says, Jesus, whatever you want. And we just looked at the rich young leader's response, right? When Jesus looked at the rich young leader and he said, you want to you wanna know how to have a relationship with God? Sell everything you have and come follow me. And he can't do it, right? And look at the difference. I mean, what is the difference between these two people's reaction? Jesus, first of all, has to ask the ruler, this is what you need to do. Sell what you have and follow me. Zacchaeus, no, he doesn't have to ask him. Zacchaeus realizes right away. And he says, here, here it is. Look at it all. And he knows and he offers it up. And Jesus never has to say a thing. And that's the difference. Real desire for God doesn't ask for a transaction. The rich young ruler just wanted 
to have some kind of a transaction, what must I do for eternal life? What box can I check to be right with God? What's the transaction I can make? And Zacchaeus is just, no, wait. I don't want a transaction. I want a relationship. And he recognizes that being seen has consequences. And it has deep joys. It's both. He knows what he has to do. He knows all the things he's gathered aren't his. He knows it's all God's. He knows it should be used to benefit others. And with clear eyes that see that now, because he's been seen. And the great thing about being seen is that you suddenly see much more clearly yourself. And he's ready for that relationship. The day we can't confess wrong and want to make it right, we cannot have a healthy relationship with anyone let alone God. But the other half of that is we, we can't have the deep joy that also goes with that relationship if we can't see the dark things that have to change. Restoration changes us. Restoration changes us repeatedly over and over and over. And Jesus says, I came to restore. I came to restore everything. Not just a couple things, because a couple things isn't restoration. And the day we decide that we're done, we're good enough, hey, we can coast, we stop seeing. We stop seeing ourselves clearly. We stop seeing others clearly. We stop seeing God clearly. And we stop letting him see us. Are we willing to be changed repeatedly? As C.S. Lewis said in, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, are we willing to have that dragon skin peeled off layer after layer after layer? So that's what it takes. But then there's the joy. Are we willing to be seen as we are and then see clearly? And then, of course, what is God saying to us after we're seen? Are we willing to see others? Are we willing to look at others and notice them and pay attention to them and maybe look at the ones that we've despised? Like Zacchaeus. And notice what Jesus would notice and say, hey, I need to have a relationship with you. I need to see you. I need to understand you. I need to know how we can have a relationship. What is God saying to us about being seen and about seeing others? And as we go into communion this morning, let's just look at the words of Psalm 51. Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in the wash. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You've seen it all, seen the full extent. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Conceive a new true life in me. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. 
God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I will let loose with your praise. If you make a run for God, you won't regret it. Amen.